You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. We are starting a new series today called Unfiltered Jesus. And the whole idea behind this series is for the next five weeks is to try to get a better picture of who Jesus is in his own words and in his own example of saying, this is who I am and showing this is who I am. The place we're going to start today is in one of the more important aspects of who Jesus is, but I think often one of the more overlooked aspects, and that's his humanity. I think for all of us, we've probably got different images that come to mind when we think of Jesus. Like right now, think, think Jesus, his face. Was he built? Was he skinny? Long hair, short hair? We've all got images. So part of what we want to do today is talk about what did he look like, and what does it mean that he was human, and most importantly, what does it matter that Jesus was human, that God became a man? Why? And what's the point of it all? So for just a minute, here's what we want to do, is I want to lead you through a voiceover that's going to come into the room. We're going to bring the lights down. We're going to ask you to close your eyes and just let you sit back and be guided by the voice to try and imagine for a minute the face of Jesus. And if you were standing with him, nose to nose, what did he look like? Close your eyes. When you think of Jesus... What do you see? Do you see him as a man? A boy? A baby? What types of clothes is he wearing? Probably a robe, right? What if he wasn't wearing a robe? What would it be? What color is his hair? Is it short or long? Is it straight or wavy? Does he have a beard? What if he didn't have a beard? Hard to imagine? How tall is he? Shorter than you? Same size? Taller? Imagine Jesus sitting next to you. What do you feel? Nervous? Relieved? Comfort? Anything? What shade is his skin? Is it like yours? Lighter? Darker? What about his hands? What do they feel like? Do you see his scars? What color are his eyes? What does his voice sound like? What is he saying? What expression does he have? Can you picture him smiling? Angry? Confused? Crying? What would you want him to say? What would you want to say to him? What does it feel like to be face to face with Jesus?
Keep your eyes closed for a minute. And keep, keep that image that you had in mind, if you could. Whenever that picture was, it got painted for you as the questions were asked. Like, keep it in front of you. And I want you to see him staring right in your face. See him looking at you. What does he say to you? What do you need him to say to you? Does he put his hand on your shoulders? Does he take your hand? Does he just put both arms around you? Does he shake your hand in a firm grip where he lays the other one on top and just holds? What's he saying? All of us probably need to hear him say something a little different, but I believe this, whoever you are, whatever you believe to be true about him, I know this is part of what's in the sentences of what he would say to you. I am so passionately, affectionately, wildly in love with you. I love you so deeply, it aches in my gut. And I'm proud. With your eyes continuing to be closed, picture this. This is a passage of scripture we usually only read at Christmas time and don't tend to bring it out other than for the holidays. But it's as important at any time ever to understand the nature of Jesus' humanity. So picture this happening 2,000 years ago on a very real time in history. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register as a result. Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room available for them. Okay, open your eyes. A few things put us in touch with a person's humanity, like seeing their birth, watching their growth and development. I, I've got three kids, and so I've had the experience of watching that happen twice. Two of them are twins. But I'll never forget, of all the things I've already forgotten about our experiences together, I'll never forget those experiences, those moments. Because anticipating the moment of becoming a parent and meeting them, it's just, it's a, it's a wild journey. You, you have these ideas in your head that you start to formulate of what they'll be like and what they'll act like, what hobbies they'll have, what they'll do for a career, what features they'll have. Will, will they have her eyes? Will they have his hair? And you start to imagine and picture and put it all together. And you, you start to feel over the months that they're growing like you, you already know them. Like they've already been a part of your whole history. And yet they're still a mystery. And then the day comes that they appear. Do you remember that day for those of you who have experienced it? When this being who was growing, now all of a sudden you're literally seeing them face to face for the very first time. And I, I remember with all of my kids going nose to nose and forehead to forehead where you can feel their breath and they can feel mine. Like with all of my kids, Jocelyn and Tobin and Corinne, I'll never forget those moments. Few things create a human connection like the connection of humanity, person to person, face to face. The Bible tells us that there was a time that no one had ever looked on the face of God in any form whatsoever. As a matter of fact, that even if anyone had attempted to, they would have died. Do you know that the Ark of the Covenant was so sacred at the time that it held the presence of God that to even touch the physical Ark itself would have meant certain death? It happened. 
And so it had to be carried with instruments that kept you from having to touch it, that there was just a radiance, a glory, a majesty about the king of heaven that you could neither look on him or touch him. And then 2,000 years ago, God saw fit to step into creation, to become his creation, and actually show us face-to-face a portion of who he is. And the incredible thing about that is he didn't just do it for people 2,000 years ago. What God did by stepping into the person of Jesus and taking on his facial features, taking on his humanity, taking on his skin, taking on all that makes us human, is he gave to all of us, not just those of us that saw him 2,000 years ago, but to everyone in all humanity, he gave to us a picture of what he is like as God that we would never know otherwise without Jesus. He made himself in so many ways, more personal, more close, more relatable. Though there is so much about God that we will never understand until we do see him again in all of his being face to face, there is so much of him that we only understand at this point because of Jesus' face and because of his humanity. So that's why I think today as we lean into a series that we're trying to understand who Jesus is in his own words, it's so important that we let him tell us and show us what is important about the fact that he was one of us and that he wasn't just God, but that as God, he also became a human being, a man who lived, who died, who rose again, and who experienced nearly everything in life that matters most that you and I will ever experience. So I just wanna pray and ask God to speak to us on this time And give us a deeper understanding of the significance of what it means that he was one of us. So, Father in heaven, I pray right now, in the name of Jesus, aware, God, that we don't need my words this morning. I am not unlike anyone else in this room or watching online trying to journey with you and towards you. With certain things I believe I have figured out and certain things I have no idea how to comprehend about you yet. And so what I believe we all need is for you and your Holy Spirit to make sense of who you are in a way that no person ever could. So use your word to do that. Use if you choose my words to do that, but may they lift up the person of Jesus and honor him. May they exalt him and him alone. And I pray, God, that you would help us to have by the time we leave, if not a deeper understanding, then a deeper affection and appreciation for the fact that you, our maker and creator, stepped into creation and became one of us. Would you use that reality to stoke within us a passion for you that I don't know that we could have without an awareness and a deeper appreciation of your humanity? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, just to let you know really quickly, that song, Face to Face, as well as the song last week, Above All, those are Kensington Originals that our team has worked on. And I only tell you that because they're on both Apple Music and Spotify. So if you appreciated those songs, then uh, go listen to those online, download them, and uh, you can access them there. But I, I appreciate our musicians for all the hard work that they do and the way they pour their passion into trying to really help us and lead us on a Sunday morning with their skills. So those songs, they wrote them. They're on Apple and they're on iTunes. So go ahead and check them out. Um, one of the things I want to do before we go any further, actually, is uh, I want to take up our offering this morning. So if, you, uh, if you're part of Kensington, then you know this, but I'm just going to let you know anyways. When we take up our offering, here's fundamentally what it's all about. We believe that our job as followers of Jesus is to love him, to place him above all things in our lives, and then to make him known to everyone in the world. That doesn't mean we shove him down anybody's throat, but that does mean that we let people know that there's a God, his name is Jesus, and he is wild about them. In other words, our job is to create as much face-to-face encounter with Jesus as we can while we breathe on this earth. I hope you know that when we take up an offering, that's what that's about. That fuels everything that we're able to do in so many ways from going overseas and locally to the courses and the classes. And, but all of that matters because it's an effort to help people come face-to-face in their own encounter with Jesus. So I just want to say thank you. And if you're not a part of it, I, we would love to have you join this. I don't think there's any greater work than helping people know the love of Jesus and the reality of Jesus. And this is just one of the ways that we get it done. So thank you very much. All right, so face-to-face. I think when we think of Jesus, it's always interesting because we have a lot of different images in our mind, but many of those images neglect oftentimes his humanity. 
Like if you think about the images that tend to come to mind most easily and readily when we think of Jesus, they're usually pictures of him being very stoic and very serious, like never smiling, always preaching, floating above the ground at six inches, you know, like just they're, they're weird images. They're, they're images usually of him. Well, let me ask you, when you think of Jesus, do you tend to think of him more naturally as a baby or as an adult? As an adult, yeah. We tend to think of grown-up version Jesus. Unless you watch Talladega Nights often, then maybe you think more baby Jesus. But we tend to often think Jesus and the more mature, grown-up version of him. But even that grown-up version of him is such a stoic, odd version of him. And we neglect the fact that much of his life was actually not as an adult. It was as a growing child and adolescent. I mean, you think about the life and the development of Jesus... Did he become a man? Yeah. Did he grow up to be 33 years old? Yeah. But he began as a baby. He had a mom. He had a dad. He got bruised knees as he grew up playing with his friends. He had a favorite toy. He had vegetables that he didn't like. I mean, when you think about Jesus, he wasn't just human like us. He was fully and completely human as us. The person of Jesus and in his humanity, when you think about him, you can't overlook the fact that he had a humanist like we have. As a matter of fact, not only did he have a humanist like we have, this is one of the greatest mysteries of Jesus. He also, at the same time that he was fully and completely human on this earth, he was also full and complete deity. One of the greatest mysteries about the person of Jesus that, frankly, for 2,000 years has been part of what people have stumbled over in trying to find God is what theologians call the hypostatic union. It is the belief that in the person of Jesus is both full and complete humanity and full and complete deity. It would be easier if Jesus was just one or the other, if he was fully man or fully God. If he was fully man, just going, hey, here's how to get to God, here's who God is, but I'm not him, he's over there. Okay, great, thank you. Or if he showed up fully God. Like, like picture like in the movies when, when Thor or some God shows up. Like they show up in power. They show up with no limitation. They show up in such a way that everybody goes, yep, that's a God. Like that would have been easier. But instead Jesus shows up in this union of both full deity and full humanity. Neither one tipping the scales a little bit more than the other. We tend to think oftentimes when we think of Jesus, probably more in favor of his deity than his humanity. But I think we do so to the neglect of having the best and the fullest possible understanding of who God is and how to approach him and how to pursue him. When when we think even, I think, sometimes of the pictures that we have created about Jesus, I think that we show even in the images and in the ideas and in the artwork that we have a confusion about where to place the emphasis. Do we place the emphasis on his deity or do we place the emphasis on his humanity? So, I mean, for example, I'm going to give you a couple pictures. Some of them very ridiculous, but... Uh, probably a little bit more recognizable. Like this one. I like to affectionately call this one Creepy Jesus. Like, I'm not letting this guy watch my house for a weekend away. Like, I'm just, something about this Jesus just makes me want to go back down river and fight. Like, go old Craig. Like, I don't know what it is about this Jesus, but he disturbs me. Anybody see this and really hope that one day you meet Jesus like that? Don't, Don't raise your hand, actually. Like, it's just like, that's just like weird. Like, hi. You're like, exorcist. Like, you're just, it's weird right? And then there's other like into the spectrum kind of Jesuses that we paint pictures of like this guy. Just going to call this one CrossFit Jesus, <laughs> right? This is Jesus after lifting your sins, right? Now this guy, I'm not leaving my wife alone with him. Like just, just bizarre. Like I'm pretty sure that's not Jesus, you know? I don't know what he thinks when he sees pictures like this. He's like, oh my gosh, you guys, you're so off about it. But, but we as humanity are trying constantly to figure out who Jesus was, and we create a variety of different images. And and here's the thing. We're trying to do so because I think we want to know what he was like. And part of the way that we understand what a person is like begins with their features and their look. But the problem with all of that is whatever you believe about Jesus today, whether you believe he's God or whether you're on a journey to figure all of that out, we all have certain images that have been created in our mind of what Jesus looked like and what he must have been like. And those images range somewhere from partly wrong to some of them completely wrong. And here's why this is a concern. is because the more wrong the image in your mind is of what Jesus was like, the more off you're going to be in your journey towards him. Because you'll end up journeying towards someone or something that isn't entirely who he was. You think about most pictures of Jesus, I mean, 
the majority of images that have circulated throughout time trying to show us a portrayal of what Jesus may have looked like, they're a picture of a, a white-skinned European-looking guy with flowing blonde hair and blue eyes, a stoic, serious look on his face, floating above the ground, wearing a white robe that never gets dirty from the dirt ground he walks on. Like, all of that is just so unhuman. Frankly, most of the images of Jesus, I can't relate to at all. I look at them, and if they don't creep me out, they're just like, it's not relatable. Not only would I not know how to pursue somebody like that or how to relate to somebody like that, I don't even know if I want to. Very years ago, I was at a conference. It was a, a church conference where there's a, a pastor that was like the highlighted speaker, and one of the things he was supposed to speak about was the, the moments of difficulty in life where you deeply have to trust God. And so he's trying to connect with this room of thousands of people. And, and so his story that he uses is this like epistory of like, here's the difficult thing I went through and I really had to trust the Lord was he shared about how his church was in the middle of a capital campaign a couple years earlier to raise $88 million for building out a new auditorium and they only raised $80 million. And that was just, and I was like, what? I'm like looking at the people with me. I'm like, this guy for real? Like, I wish I only had $80 million. What's he talking? Like, there was, immediately there was a disconnect where I'm like, I have no idea how to relate to that. I'm like, dude, I just want to know how to keep the kids from dumping Mountain Dew in the bathroom when they go use it during youth group. Like, that's my, can you, somebody help me with that? And he's like, $80 million is all I had. And it created this disconnect of my ability to understand him or to feel like I could even relate to him. And I think we can do the same thing with Jesus. We can create an idea, a persona of Jesus that makes it almost impossible to know how to relate to him because it's so different than what it meant for him to actually be a normal human being like you and I. Years ago, there was uh, actually an attempt by some British scientists and Israeli archaeologists that got together, found uh, a handful of skulls from the region that Jesus would have lived and from the time frame that Jesus would have lived in. And so they used their skills and they used their talents and they put all of this together to try to recreate what is possibly a much more realistic version of what Jesus could have looked like. So some of you maybe seen this before, but this is what they came up with. Not the image we're used to seeing when we think of Jesus. But this is a recreation based on skulls from the area that Jesus would have lived, from the time frame that Jesus would have lived, And this is probably a much more realistic image of what Jesus could have looked like than anything we've ever seen. And immediately, let me just ask you, well, put put the two side by side. Which looks more human? I mean, to yourself, just think, like, which one seems more relatable just looking at it? Which one seems more normal? Which one seems like that's the person you'd rather have a conversation with versus run away from? Like there's a reality that even just in the images we create about Jesus, it affects what we understand and what we think about his humanity. But I think it's also important to understand that Jesus' humanity wasn't just simply in that he looked like he was human, he actually was human. And this is, this is the complexity of this. This is why for 2,000 years, this has been one of the more difficult things to teach about Jesus as well as to understand about him. He wasn't like Clark Kent, just kind of putting on the glasses but hiding his cape, so he's really Superman, but he's faking it that he's Clark. Like, he's really God, but he's faking it as a human. What the Bible has us to understand is that he was actually, while he was fully human, was still fully God, but neither decreased the other. The book of Luke, chapter 2, actually gives one of the more important descriptions, I think, of Jesus and helping us understand the reality of his humanness. Luke, chapter 2, verse 52 on your screen says this, And Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. Everybody just say this with me. Say wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. Here's why that's important, why I want you to say it out loud. I want it in your memory and my memory because those are the four areas, according to uh, author and pastor Erwin McManus, those are the four areas that make a unique distinction of development from humanity and everything else that lives. Nothing else that lives and breathes has to grow and develop in those four quadrants. You think wisdom, that's your mind, that's your understanding, that's knowledge. Like Jesus didn't know everything from the minute he was born. He had to learn things. He had to understand things. He had to grow in wisdom. He had to grow in stature, which means physically. Like he had to grow. The God of creation that has created and grown all things had to grow himself. He had to go through growing pains. He had to go through growth spurts. 
think about this. God put himself through puberty. Like Jesus had to go through puberty. Like at some point, Jesus' voice did that weird cracky thing where he's like, hey, mom and dad. Like that happened to the God of creation. He had to grow in stature. He had to grow in wisdom, stature, favor with God and favor with man. That's spiritual and social. He had to grow to understand God. There were things that he didn't understand about him. He had to learn about God, grow in his knowledge of God, grow in his relationship with God. He had to grow relationally. Like he had to learn how to be social. He had to learn how to walk into a room and make friends and meet people and carry on conversation, how to not be introverted, how to be social. Like these are the four areas that distinguish humanity from every other thing that grows in this world. Mental, emotional, social, spiritual, physical. And Jesus, the God of creation, think about this, God himself subjected himself to creation and had to actually develop in all of these areas. You may go, okay, so what does it matter that God had to become human? And frankly, what does it matter what he actually looked like? Here's why it matters. Brian laid it out last week that our journey this year is to try to go closer in our relationship with Jesus than we've ever been before. And if we're gonna do that, then we have to have an accurate picture of who Jesus is. And the degree to which we may have an inaccurate image in our minds of who he was, which oftentimes can even start with what he looked like, can lead us the similar degree off of trajectory of actually encountering and growing in relationship with the very real God of heaven. We might grow on an idea or an understanding of a version of him, but not the fullest version of him. And so if our job is to say, hey, how do we grow closer to God? Then part of what we have to do is wrestle with some of what he tells us who he was. And part of what God tells us about who he was that we tend to give the least amount of attention to is human just like us. One of the things that's important about that, I'm gonna give you two things that are significant, I think, about Jesus' humanity for us today, one of which is this. What Jesus' humanity teaches us, number one, is that he gets us. Like genuinely, he gets you and I. Don't raise your hand or say anything out loud, but just think to yourself, honest moment, have you ever felt like in life, nobody gets you? Or very few people get you? Or have you ever had a moment or had one recently where you felt just horribly misunderstood? Maybe your motives or your intentions, maybe something you said, something you did, and it just left you feeling like, does anybody actually get me? And then think about the deeper parts of what makes up you. The stuff that few, if anybody, gets access to. The thoughts, the emotions, the things that have happened, the things that you've done, the things that we tend to bury in the background, and nobody gets access to those things, but you know them. And you know that if ever the people knew them, they certainly wouldn't want to get you. Here's one of the things so powerful about the humanity of Jesus is it says that the God of heaven, who could in his godness be so far removed from us that he could never possibly conceive of what it's like to be us, became one of us. And in becoming one of us, he gets us. Like he fully, literally, genuinely gets what it's like to be you. Never forget that Jesus spent the majority of his life as a carpenter. I mean, when we think about him, we usually think of Jesus in the latter part of his life. But all of the miracles and the raising the dead and the water into wine and the blind being able to see, like all of that was the last three short years of his life. For 30 long years, he was an average blue-collar construction worker. He carried his lunch to work. He had dirt under his nails. He maybe was on the slimmer side because he walked a lot, probably had calluses on his hands. Maybe he had a decent build. Maybe he was cut a little bit because he had to move a lot of lumber. Like, this was Jesus. He was just, for the majority of his life, an average, normal guy, just like the rest of us. He was, he was human. And he wasn't white. The image we usually get in our minds is Jesus. We always think that everybody that we imagine in our minds, we always tend to think that they're like us. If you hear a story online about somebody or we read a story, we picture them looking just like us. We take something away from him when we do that. Jesus didn't look just like all of us. But he was like all of us in his humanity. He was human. He acted human. I mean, think about this. This is a God of heaven, created all things, became a man, but then experienced everything that you and I experience as people. He had to shower. He had to trim his beard. He had to use the bathroom. He peed standing up. I mean, this is, he was a man. 
And I try to be sacrilegious, but the danger if we don't have an accurate image of who he was as a full human being, and we get this idea that he was like probably kind of human, but mostly just God, we strip away the reality that he was fully human, which gives us a picture of him that isn't accurate, which means our pursuit of him won't be towards the full version of who God actually is. He was a person just like you and I. Matter of fact, think about the course of his life and all that he developed and went through. I know we tend to think of Jesus mostly as the adult version of himself. But more than just at Christmas, he was a baby. Some of you have babies right now. Some of you have one coming. Some of you have had some. Some of you miss when your kids are little babies. He was a baby. He nursed on his mom. He messed his diaper. Think about that, the God of creation made stinky diapers. He giggled when you blew on his feet. He literally had to learn how to crawl. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to run. He had to learn how to talk. Like the God of creation that gave language to all that is had to learn how to use it. Like he didn't just show up and in the barn while the shepherds were staring at him, he's like, and thus saith the Lord. Like he just knew how to, like he had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to put his sentences together. He had to learn some form of punctuation and spelling and grammar. He had to learn how to pay taxes. He battled feelings like we battle. There are times that he felt depression, loneliness. There are times he struggled with anxiety. Times he struggled with anger. He felt sadness and hurt. He felt joy. He laughed. He cried. And he cried as a baby, by the way. You know the song we sing at Christmas? No crying he made. Like, if you have a baby that doesn't cry, you take him to the doctor. Like, that's a problem. Like, he cried. The God of heaven cried. He didn't like things. He had favorite toys. He had vegetables that made him gag. He experienced life just like you and I experienced life. He enjoyed an occasional glass of wine. He had friends that loved him. He had people that hated him. He had friends that he buried. He cried at funerals. He didn't always get along with his siblings. There's a Old Testament prophet named Isaiah who once gave a prophecy of what would be part of both the physical and even just the work of Jesus, the physical nature of him, the nature of what he would do and accomplish. Listen to how it was described that Jesus would both look and be responded to. Isaiah 53, verse two. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty, he had no majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. You're out, Isaiah starts off. Isaiah begins even with just a physical description. He says, you know, first of all, he ends with, you know, he was easily overlooked. We despise him. We could have walked by him, never even noticed him or given him attention. But he even starts with his physical. He says, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing that his appearance that we should desire him. In other words, like, it'd be a little crude here. He's saying, Jesus may have even been hit by the ugly stick. Like, there's just a reality that he didn't, he wasn't, a, he didn't walk around like Fabio. He wasn't even a good-looking guy. There was nothing out of the ordinary. You'd walk right by him and not even notice him. So even in our mind, you ever felt, you ever felt unattractive? You ever felt frustrated? You ever felt like, how do I get rid of this belly that I didn't have when I was in 12th grade? You ever felt just even those feelings about your physicalness? Guess who gets that? Jesus. He understands us. He gets us because he was us. One of the dangers we do sometimes is we distance Jesus from us so much because we tip the scales on the focus more on his identity than his humanity. And in doing so, what we do is we create a reality that he can't really get us. And if he can't get us, then you know what that means for us? We can't get him. Years ago, one of the, the jobs that I had before getting into ministry was I was in a construction company 
And one of my last projects was actually working on Steve Eiserman's house uh, before he moved to Florida for a while. And I'll never forget this one time, we're in the basement, we're early on in the project, and completely unfinished in the basement, 10, 11,000 square foot house, so massive basement, no internal walls have been put up yet, and it's like lunchtime. And one of the, one of the uh, carpenters goes, hey, we, get, we should get a game of baseball going. So he takes a piece of wood and he like just kind of carves it up really quickly into something that looked like a, like a crude bat, takes a big ball of duct tape, wads it up, and it was just game on. We made bases and we're just playing, and we're like, one day we're going to tell people we play baseball in Steve Eisenman's basement. And uh, it, by the way, if you don't know who Steve Eisenman is, Troy would love to have you come visit them. So Steve Eisenman's basement, we're down there, we're playing baseball. And, and at one point, we could see this set of legs come down the stairs, but they're cut off by the ceiling. So we only see, like, knees down. And so we kind of, we all stopped. And we're, like, looking. And one of the guys goes, who is that? I'm like, I don't know. He goes, is that the boss? I'm like, I don't know. And then, and then somebody goes, is it Steve? I'm like, and all of us was like, I don't know. And all of a sudden, he just keeps walking down. And it's Steve Eiserman. And we're all like, oh my gosh, we are so busted. And he just stares at us, what felt like an eternity, and then goes, can I get an up at bat? And we're like, ah! So he totally did. He comes and he just cracks it across the basement. Then he takes us to the area that's going to become his weight room. And he shows us a bunch of his routines. And I'm like, this dude is awesome. He could have totally come down and railed on us. He could have played the, I'm going to call the boss. You guys should be working card. He could have shamed us for messing around. Instead of working, we should have been working. And instead, he just became one of us in that moment. And I think one of the reasons I love that story, I think every time I tell us, some people are like, that's so awesome. Steve is so cool. And he was. And I think one of the things I always loved about Eiserman, the little bit of time I got to work with him, is he was just, this is what I would say all the time, he's just a normal dude. He's just like the rest of us. And my wife would always go, uh, because he is. Like, he's human, just like everybody else. But we have this tendency sometimes to elevate one another in a way that it makes them unrelatable. But then you have moments like this, and you realize, like, even a guy like Steve Eiserman, you're like, Oh, he is just like us. And it creates this connection that you don't have when you don't think he's like you. The same can happen with God. When we neglect to realize he was just like us, we don't then realize he gets us. But furthermore, what we don't realize is that then we can get him. You know, I mean, if you think about this, if God was only just simply God and he had no humanness to him, that would make it really difficult to have any sense of genuine, affectionate, personal relationship with him. If he was just all and completely and only God, that'd be like hugging the sun. How in the world, do you, like how do you get your hands and arms around the sun? That's impossible. But here's what's incredible. The God of creation who made the sun stepped into creation, taking on all the limitations of a human and experiencing all that we experience on the level of what matters most as a human. And it creates not just an ability for him to get us, but here's what's so powerful, for us to get him. Because he doesn't just understand what it's like to be us because he was us. We understand him to a degree that we wouldn't have understood. There is a nature of God himself that now understands humanity, which means we can understand part of the nature of God as a human being ourselves. He gets us, and we get him. I think it's one of the reasons why that campaign, He Gets Us, if you haven't seen it, hegetsus.com, check it out, launched last year. Played a bunch of the videos during the Super Bowl, small clips of just like normal moments of life of joy or struggle or losing your job or moving. And it created pictures of how these are things we experience. And guess what? So did he. So he gets us. I think the reason that campaign became so wildly popular is that within each of us, even if you're journeying right now to try and understand if there is a God and Jesus is him, is that there's a desire among all of us to believe that if there is a God that he understands us, that he's not this drastically distant, so far removed, can't conceive of what it's like to be us, that he's just way out there, up there, and here we are alone and separate. There's a desire, I think, in all of us to believe that if he really is, then he gets us. And he does. He gets you to a degree that no one else does. No matter if they're your best friends, no matter if they're your spouse, no matter if they're that one person in the world that knows things that nobody else does about you, he knows more and he gets more. And that means you get him as well. It's an incredible thing and it's something that only happened because of the humanity of Jesus that wouldn't have otherwise happened. That's why one of the things that I hope 
is that God will do something in all of us to create a deeper longing to even sit in for weeks to come, to do your own study, to sit back, reflect on, meditate on, just ask God to even give more clarity on his humanity because I'm telling you, as your awareness and appreciation of God's humanity increases, it won't help but stoke within you greater affection for Jesus. Why? Because you'll get him because of the way he gets us. But here's what else his humanity does that couldn't have been accomplished without his humanity. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ruin English and I'm gonna do all kinds of grammar mistakes right now. But if the first reality of his humanity is that he gets us, here's the second. He gots us. Everybody say, he gots us. All right, just so I'm not the only one saying weird grammar words. He gots us. Here's what I mean. Years ago, can I tell this? Oh, you said yes. Okay, thanks. I probably should have asked before now, but I love you. My wife came to me one day a couple years ago, and she says, oh, babe, I was listening to this new worship song. Oh, my gosh, you got it. It's so good. I, I love this song. And I, there's this line in the song, and it says, he gots us. About God, he got, Psalm 23 is a song. You just go listen to it. And it's based out of the, the psalm in the Bible. And, and she's like, like, just stuff going on right now and things I need to know. God sees me. God hears me. God gets this. Like, here's what I heard from him. I got you. Because there's a line in the song that says, he gots us. He gots us. And she's like, and I just felt like, oh, that was God saying to me, I got you. I got you. And I was like, oh, man, that's awesome, babe. I'm so glad that that's what God spoke to you. The line actually says, he guides us, though. <laughs> She's like, oh, I thought it was he got us. So we like to this day, we have this great moment about it. But you know what? God used the song to communicate what she needed to hear most in that moment, which is, I think, fundamentally what all of us need to be hearing, is that he's got us. Because the reality is, is that you and I and every human being that has, does, and ever will exist is born into the same condition. No matter what separates us, one of the things that unites us is our sin nature. It is a nature of rebellion at the core of who we are that fights against God, that fights against knowing him, fights against loving him, fights against being loved by him, fights against living his ways. There is a nature within us passed down to us by the first of us, which is Adam. The scriptures tell us this abundantly and clearly, that there is a curse passed on to all humanity, and that curse is the curse of sin. And that curse is a curse that has all of us to one degree or another at different times in our life walking away from God more easily and readily than walking towards him. It is the stain on the human soul that has to be dealt with if there is to be any sort of unity with God and any sort of relationship with him, let alone any sort of salvation and certainty of what he has for us in all of the future, including into eternity to come. But what Adam, our first ancestor, passed on to us, like any father or mother that passes on things through the genes, is he passed on a sickness called sin that keeps us separate. Part of what the humanity of Jesus did that required God to have on humanity is he stepped into the gap for us where only a human being could. For example, years ago when I first got my license, I used to be under the impression that stop signs they were take them or leave them. It was kind of by choice if you wanted to obey until a police officer in the first couple months convinced me otherwise, pulled me over, gave me my first ticket. You remember your first ticket? Are you for real? Like, well, you guys just drive good or something? I, well, I remember my first one because I remember panicking, thinking, that's it, I'm a dead man. I don't know what my dad's gonna do, but this is it, guillotine, here I come. So I remember going home and telling my dad, he was actually very calm about it, and he said, well, let's call Dennis. Dennis is my brother-in-law. He's a retired police officer now from Southfield, and he's like, we'll go to the judge and go to the court with Dennis. I'm like, oh, so I get to go with my dad, and I get to go with my brother-in-law, who's a police officer. I'm totally gonna get out of this thing, I hope. So, so we go, and they, and they advocated for me the whole time. There's nothing like having a police officer advocate for you to the judge to get you out of your ticket. Now, here's what he couldn't do, although he advocated. He couldn't intercede. He can advocate for me, but he can't intercede, meaning he can't tell the judge, hey, judge, don't worry about Craig. I'm going to take his place. He's good. Get him off the hook. The judge would be like, I, no, you're not Craig. Craig has to pay the penalty for this one. You, can't, you can advocate all day long, and then I can make the decision, but you cannot intercede. Here, here's what Isaiah tells us that Jesus did for us is more than advocate, he actually interceded. If you go back to Isaiah 53, where we got the descriptions of what Jesus was like, here's what he did. Verse 4, 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. What Isaiah is predicting is the crucifixion of the God-man Jesus. Is that part of what he would do in his humanity is step in place of us. He would intercede for us in front of the judge and say, listen, I will take their place. Because not only can I as a human being, but a perfect human being, but the perfect human being who is also God, I can take the place. I can intercede and I can step in where they can't take care of it themselves. And the question is, well, well, why couldn't God just do that without having to become a human? Like, if he's a judge, then why couldn't he just be like, case dismissed, moving on? Because sin is a human problem that requires humanity to pay the penalty for it. God couldn't have stepped in and paid the penalty because he is all God. So all God had to become also all man. So that in his all manness, he could take the place of mankind. And that in his all godness, he could conquer death, conquer sin for all time. That's why it was important that he had to become a human being. Not only so that he could say to us, I get you, but so that he could say to us, I got you as well. Because I and I alone, as the perfect God-man, can step in. Where Adam passed you a curse, I can pass you the blessing of forgiveness, grace, and mercy. Here's how it's put in the scriptures. The book of Romans, the apostle Paul says it this way. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because of sin, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did who is the pattern of the one to come. So he's saying, listen, like it or not, the reality is Adam passed on to us the effect of sin. It is in our nature. You might go, well, I don't like that reality, but you can't find an exception to it. There is no human being who has lived the faultless life that Jesus Christ did, but Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying. There was something passed on to us by Adam, but this is what he then says. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespasses of the one, that's Adam, then how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the gift of the man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? This is part of what is so important to understand about the need for God to become human is that only a human could step in place of mankind and humanity for the penalty of sin and death, but only God could then have the power to conquer both in his resurrection. When you understand that, you understand that in his humanity, he gets us and he's gots us. Or as one of the saints would say, Athanasius, Jesus became what we are that he might make us what he is. Here's my hope is that for us is that there truly would be as we journey into this next year saying, how do we grow closer to Jesus than ever before? There would be an ability to find within us an absolute passion growing for Jesus like we've never had. And I really do believe that part of that begins in understanding that our God, who could have chosen to remain distant and separate and unknowable and untouchable, became one of us to know you, to touch you, to be known by you, to be touched by you, to be in relationship with you, not merely to be worshiped, but to be loved as well, and to love you in return. His humanity was not just a magic trick to show what he could do. It was to show his desire to know you. And it was to show his power to forgive you, and me, and all of us. So, Father, I just pray now that you would give an ability to understand the depth and the complexity, the beauty and the power of the humanity of Jesus in a way that no human being can make clear and understood from this stage. And I just say thank you, God. Thank you that you did not abandon us. That when we betray you, you are faithful. When we abandon you, you pursue us. When we turn on you, you love us. Thank you that you have made yourself knowable in the person of Jesus, touchable, attainable. Thank you for the truth that you 
both get us and got us. And I pray that that would begin to grow within us a new, fervent fire of affection for Jesus, for you, Father God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.